welcome to Zephyr Podcast Sessions with your host, me, Scott Howland. To find out more about Zephyr and how we're helping leading brands and businesses with customer journey orchestration, visit www.zephr.com. So hey, welcome to the Zephyr Podcast Sessions. Uh, my name's Scott Howland. I'm here again this week, but this week I'm joined by a uh, another friend of uh, Zephyr. This is Jordan Adams of Martech Tracker. Hey, Jordan, um, great to have you on the show. If you could just do me a favor and introduce yourself, your role in your company, uh, that would be great. Yeah, sure. Um, first of all, Scott, thanks for uh, inviting us on. I really enjoyed the, um, the, the, the coffee club that you've created. And I think before I even start, I just think that's one of the, the great things that's come out of all of this chaotic backdrop is these sort of questions and these sort of conversations are happening. Um, so I really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, we, we've built a really good rapport in such a short space of time. Um, You've introed my name, but I'm managing director, founder of a business called Martech Tracker. Uh, and we are a business that, that does two things. We help create demand for agencies and tech vendors, uh, which I can come into a bit more detail about. But essentially, we help connect uh, their brand with potential prospects or customers. And then in the publishing space, we help fulfill uh, campaigns that have been sold digitally that they can't complete through their own inventory, uh, whether that be through uh, some targeting that they can't quite reach or they haven't got the uh, the, the audience that, that, that matches it. So we're a demand gen business uh, that works primarily with tech uh, or B2B publishers. We've been around for three and a half years, uh, but my background is, is B2B publishing. Nice. Uh, well, congrats on that. Congrats on being around for the, the first three and a half years. Here's to, uh, here's to many more in the future. Um, the theme kind of today that we've spoke about uh, is going to be around actually uh, quite a, a common theme and uh, I guess it's quite a strategic uh, conversation in the workplace at the moment. Demand gen and uh, how that maybe maybe versus lead gen. Um, maybe we go down that theme and just talk a little bit about the differences um, and uh, as, as I've quite quickly learned, the not so subtle differences between demand gen and lead gen. Um, if I was to ask you, could you uh, describe the differences between demand gen and lead gen, maybe starting with demand generation, could you just give us a, uh, an overview of each, um, each area there and how that differs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, I, I don't want to come across as, as any sort of uh, thought leader or, or somebody that's going to point out people's mistakes. But I think the, the, the most common thing that we see that causes all of the friction about so-called quality is, is there is a real difference between demand gen and lead gen. And often the, the words are intertwined or uh, put together. And, and, and I've seen presentations where the same word is used in the same presentation, trying to get the same outcome. But quite simply, demand generation is, is creating demand. It's getting people's interest. Uh, is trying to get eyeballs or people to look at whatever you're trying to promote. Um, and then lead gen is then turning that interest into a lead. Uh, and that is really a nurture cycle. So it's, it's simply thinking demand is about getting eyeballs or spiking interest. Uh, and then nurturing it turns it into a lead and that becomes lead gen. Um, so there is a distinct difference, but often they get intertwined because what people are after is rushing ahead towards leads. And you see that in most common social situations as well that you want to get to the the point of outcome 
rather than sort of nurturing something because that's the environment we're all in now right we want everything um we want everything yesterday oh no absolutely and uh i would uh definitely fall foul of that uh always want everything yesterday um uh, learning as i go in that kind of area um so if you could give us a few examples of demand generation and where it's worked well could could you do that and uh... yeah well I, I think i almost think of it as, as the other way around the, the the key bit to start with good demand is to work out what outcome you want so you sort of work with what leads are we trying to create uh and 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 understand your sales cycle and understand um what outcomes you need to be able to take that conversation to ultimately a sale. And then you work backwards from there uh, because then you can work uh, almost in a, a, a logical way that you go all the way to your customer journey and where, where that start point happens. So the key thing to, to setting up uh, a demand gen campaign to take things to leads is you have to work actually around the middle ground, which is where nurturing, scoring, uh, account identification happens because that's where the conflict happens so to sort of cut through any sales spiel and try and get to to the point you've asked me is a, a demand gen is how do we attract an audience that ultimately is going to convert quickest into a sale so i.e quickest into a lead and the kind of demand gen tactics that that, that really are at the front of all of that is content Content is what creates demand, whether it be B2B or B2C, in order to get eyeballs, uh, whether that be web traffic or people to your stand uh, when the event word was, was still operating, or, <laughs> or, or whether it's trying to get people to come uh, and engage with your newsletter or whatever the channel is, even if it's whether it's YouTube or, or, or your social account, you've got to create content that creates eyeballs, that creates demand. And then from there, you can start to work about how to nurture those through and ultimately turn them into leads. Lead gen tactics uh, is, is, is really about going back to the demand and trying to uh, A, uh, uh, sell your solution in and tr drive a bit of indicator that you've got a product that might solve a challenge they've either got or they don't know they've got. Um, and the second bit around lead gen is really to understand that, that if we're talking B2B, that business maturity for what you're trying to sell. You can have a very good lead, but it can be the wrong maturity. So really what I think lead gen around is, is trying to add more intel to the demand. So if you've got somebody that's coming through a, a landing page for a, a, a content, uh, which I can come on to about my views on, on, on landing pages or gated content, then all you know at that point is uh, potentially some, some demographic and firmographic information. You might know who they are, uh, their email, their job title and their company. But in order to get that to a lead, you've now got to build intel around that about whether that fits. So I think demand is all around content and lead is all around customer profiling and understanding more about that person or individual or company that's coming as demand. And you, uh, you brought up a, uh, a question there that, that, that I was going to lead on to in the future uh, of this. Well, I say future further down in this in this session, but I'm going to bring it up now and we're going to kind of try and unpick that one now so gated content obviously that's a kind of a way to uh to to bring about an email address or, or a name very quickly or maybe very quickly in the process what i guess you touched on it then what are your views on that and why would you do that why wouldn't you do that yeah i think so i think you can take the two extremes i, I i'm a firm believer that um 
I'm, I've, I've only come from the B2B background. Um, so I'm passionate about B2B. And I think a lot of the best marketing practices um, that, that really firm up to results come from B2B. Um, and maybe that's slightly biased, but I, I, the work that's done in B2B marketing, I think is, is, is particularly prevalent to results-based outcomes. So there's a lot of uh, requirements to be able to, to evidence your marketing. And I've always seen B2C as a, as a bit of a luxurious playground. Uh, and, and the sort of big data stuff and, and, and sort of much more around influencer marketing, et cetera. But what I will say is human instinct um, doesn't change whether you're a B2C person or a B2B. The way humans interact, um, hopefully, doesn't flip on nine to five when they're in a B2B world and then flip back out when they're in a B2C world. And I think if you look at the, the, the message somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk has been pushing for years and years, that has been around give away free stuff and give away your best stuff free and become a source of speed of information and a reliable source of information. Um, and there's a lot of uh, validity in what he's saying there around uh, uh, by becoming an expert or, or, or having a friendly persona, it, it, you, you don't always want to be the person that puts up quite rigid gates to prevent that person getting information. There shouldn't be a trade-off the whole time. So I think the extreme pieces, be interesting to see which B2B businesses uh, end up very much going down that route, which is giving away everything for free and then working other ways to take that, that demand into a lead. Going to the more traditional piece um, around uh, white paper downloads or gated content, I think we need to think about that, that, that really where that was driven from, bizarrely, was consumer. That was driven from newspaper groups trying to work out how to monetize uh, um, the search of free content. Um, so they had to start to monetize it. And when the first uh, paywalls went up. Uh, I mean, to this day, there's still conferences happening around paywall or not paywall. You know, it's still a, a, a topic of, of, of discussion. So I think for me, um, from a tactic point of view, that they hold a lot of validity in terms of being able to drive inquiries. Um, but I do think that when you're using gated content, first of all, think about the value exchange. So to, for somebody to give up essentially personal information and and to be wanted to be followed up that content has got to be worth it the, the, the exchange has got to be fair exchange um, so I see lots of type of content that I, I, I believe wouldn't warrant that you know market reports benchmarking reports surveys uh, case studies uh, how-to guides I, I, I don't think warrant a gate but I think if you're talking about something that, that, that might hold intrinsic value, an ROI calculator, an interactive piece, then I think it's a fair exchange. So I think for me, it's about one, not using gated content to drive something that you believe is a lead. So think about the demand bit. Um, it's very easy to put a gate up and then not think about the what next. I see a lot of gates go out an email and then straight into a lead nurture. Uh, and then second thing is think about the value. You're offering somebody to give up um, quite detailed personal information. And this goes back to the human piece. People aren't stupid. They know that entering an email is gonna go into some marketing flow. They're in B2B. They know that you're gonna suddenly put a load of scoring around them and you're suddenly gonna uh, add every bit of intel to them. So just think about the value piece. So I don't think we're quite brave enough. I'd be really interested to see which B2B does it in terms of the, the Gary Vaynerchuk, give everything away free and then work out how you capture that. But equally, if you are going to use gated content, which which I do believe holds value in B2B, just think about the, the value exchange. Um, I like that. I, I, I like that a lot. And uh, if you'd have, uh, 
seen uh, the start of the process for even these podcast sessions we started off and um, to be fair we didn't have enough to to get them onto a free platform then to, to be able to give them give them away for free and what we've done we've moved away from the kind of gated on our website uh, to now having them available on Spotify Apple Google yeah. all the kind of um, streaming platforms out there and I guess this is this uh, as we know this this is a demand generation kind of hopefully informative session this is something to give something back to give advice and to give some useful context so I guess this could be um this could be deemed a demand generation um tool yeah. maybe um and obviously from there I it, as you say, it's down to us to work out the best way of turning that into a lead. Is it giving away more value? Is it being the expert in the community or however we kind of go down that route and, and understand that area. Um, but why is there always this confusion between demand, between demand gen and lead gen? Is it a mix up between marketing, sales, um, strategic decisions? Is there, is there something you've seen? Is there a silver bullet to why there's always this confusion? I think it's, um, I think it goes back to, I think it's a couple of things. I think um, with, with just purely B2B on, um, B2B is, is very much heavy around results driven. A lot of the the, the, the sales strategies uh, and techniques that were created in the, in the sort of 1970s, 1980s, uh, were all about trying to get to an opportunity quicker. So if you look at uh, um, BAMP, for example, which still to this day, you know, this is something that was invented by IBM in the 1970s uh, and is still being used today as a qualifier for leads. Um, and, it, and it just has no place in today's SaaS model uh, whatsoever. Um, you know, Bant was all around identifying the size of a company to basically work out how much hardware you could sell, them, how many desktops you could sell. You know, and I still see gated landing pages saying, how many employees do you have? Um, and that, that's, that's taken from BANT from 1970s because it was trying to work out well, if they've got 5,000 employees, that's potentially 5,000 computers we can sell, hardware. Um, a more relevant question uh, is around um, understanding what, what technology they currently use. You understand their mindset and where they're going to go. You know, we're in a lean uh, economy. We're in a lean business model where a business of 10 people could be turning over 10 million. So I think going back to, 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 to the point and, and to the question, I think the, the need for leads is all around uh, the requirement to do things quickly and to get sales quickly and to learn things quickly. And, you know, when I started out in B2B sales, um, marketing were definitely uh, a, a different beast. They were the creative guys. They were the people that sat down the corridor and, and, and sort of sprinkled magic and, and things happened. Um, and, we, and salespeople were very much about uh, driving their own agenda. And somewhere they'd meet in the middle. Now you have to question how many marketers are just working for sales. And, and, and that to me says a couple of things. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm a salesperson. The sales culture is getting lazy. So the ability to be able to craft a market message and go out there and do some of that, that early footprint um, uh, is, is not happening as much. I think the second thing is, that because of technology and content and gated pages, there is an expectation, well, if, if, if there's somebody coming in, we want to get to them as quick as possible because we've got sales quotas to hit. So what, what's a nurture process becomes very quickly a lead process. And I've, I've yet to find many businesses, and I suspect we as a company are guilty of this as well, 
that if you've got 500 people that are uh, downloading something or, or come into your world, it doesn't matter how they've come in, it's very, very difficult to resist the temptation to, to, to get them to sales, whatever sales look like, um, in a slow nurtured process when you're in a highly competitive market. Um, SaaS in particular is a very low entry model nowadays. It's not like uh, hardware where long decisions were made. I mean, we, we switched CRM system in a, in a matter of about three days. Uh, and I worked in a business that took 10 years to roll out a CRM system. So I think that's, I think it's about speed, Scott. I think people want to get hold of a lead because it's, then they can start to look at sales and they can start saying, well, why aren't you, why aren't you converting leads? And ultimately a lead equals money. Demand feels a bit fluffy, feels a bit, bit luxurious. Yeah, maybe that looks the the luxury is there for for the taking in a way though. I think to as you say, um, with Gary Vaynerchuk's said it for years now. Give a, give away your content, drive away this or show this value. It's a value exchange at the end of the day. Be your expert in your profession or your your industry, um, and I think that will come across. And I'm uh, I'm totally behind what you're saying. Is that I think that will come out uh, on top over the next few years and we'll see more and more of that across the market. Um, you touched on earlier something called the conflict zone. Um, mm. And I know we've had some uh, discussions offline about this before, um, but what is that zone and why is it a conflict zone? Yeah, it sounds quite aggressive, doesn't it? And I sort of, um, uh, I'm sure others have used this term. I, I sort of, I came up with it and, and I'm not again progressing to be a thought leader, but it's, it's, it, maybe it's a tone that's a, a, a bit harsh, but what I class the conflict zone is, is really the difference between um, what, what publishers are selling or marketers are trying to achieve and what clients, uh, vendors or salespeople are expecting. Um, and the conflict zone is really around not spending enough time between marketing and sales, working out the bit in the middle. Um, so we know sales want, uh, opportunities that are as close down the funnel as possible in terms of uh, speed to turn that into revenue. And we know that salespeople um, are, are focused on uh, opportunity landing quickly. So all of the sales metrics within CRMs are how quickly have you progressed this from A to B. Um, but what's not particularly worked on uh, is when something falls out A to B, where does it go in that nurture stream? How often or how much effort is being put between marketing and sales to talk about nurture, scoring, reporting, nurturing uh, a lead from A to B? What happens when something doesn't work out? Where does that go? How do we re-engage? How do we learn? Um, and the conflict zone for me is if a, a marketeer is trying to create demand, which is their job, their expertise, drive eyeballs, drive engagement, drive inquiries, and salespeople are designed to turn that into revenue. There's a big gap between the two. And the conflict zone is the process between the two. So sales and marketing work very, very well when it's account identification or ABM or customer journey. But where I think they fall down a little bit is what happens when they go into that, that, that washing machine? Because demand goes all different places. And you can have really clear nurture streams but if you don't work on that conflict zone, if you don't work on that bit between A and B, what tends to happen is the quality of what's deemed a lead uh, gets a poor rep. 
because when demand comes in, it's not a lead. Um, it's only when it's gone through the conflict zone that has to be worked with sales and marketing, does it then become a lead and responsibility? And I think the bit that I'd love to see marketing and sales work closer together on is not sales saying, this is who we want, go get them for us. Because that should be salespeople's job. Marketing should be a support act in that. What they should be working together is that middle ground. How many leads hit these scores? How many leads do we need to nurture further? What's the reporting metrics that allow us to do this fairly? Um, but the challenge with this, and, and the reason why, going back to my point earlier around speed, is in order to do that, you've got to hold your nerve. Because often demand is looking backwards. And again, using Gary Vaynerchuk, the way he runs his business is give everything away for free. And at the end of the year, did we turn over more money? Now, that's a very risky model, but you can only look backwards. Lead gen is very quick metrics. I gave you five leads. Did they convert? And the danger becomes, well, we converted three out of five. So go and find me another 20. So that conflict zone is, is the bit between marketing automation and CRM. That's where I see it. <laughs> no, I, I really like that. And uh, it's uh, some food for thought there. And obviously this works across both b2b and b2c environments uh publishing media brands businesses you name it uh, SaaS, as, as we said SaaS is a big one in there as well um so kind of coming to the end of this uh this talk now if i if i asked you for your top three demand generation tips what would they be well i, I think the first thing is um think about the value exchange so think about why you're asking somebody to do something and what you're giving them back and whether you think it to be fair um, this happens in, in absolute human nature. So think about that. I think the second thing is uh, personalization. Um, I know this is talked about across all marketing and sales channels, but really think about personalization. Um, the, the higher the value exchange, so the more you're asking somebody to do, the more personalized it should be. So if you're asking them to complete 20 parts of a landing page, I'd expect a highly personalized piece to come back. Uh, if, if I was to give all of my details around customizable benchmarking tool then i'm probably going to give all my details because it's got real value but i'm not going to give 20 pieces of information to to find out about an implementation case study that's not quite in my marketplace so personalization value exchange um, and then i think the final thing that i would I'd, I'd be really looking at is how to work in that conflict zone and that might be something as simple as absolute having an agreement about what the channel really looks like in terms of taking demand to a lead. And I know this is, is something that every business preaches and every business says, oh, we've got, we've got that absolutely sorted. Well, one quick way to work out if you've got that sorted, if you're a marketeer, how many times do your salespeople come back to you and go, these leads aren't good enough? Because if they're coming back and saying that, that is not because the leads aren't good enough. It's because you're either giving them demand too early or there hasn't been an agreement about what's going to happen in the conflict zone. Nice and uh, very concise there as well. Really like that. Um, thank you very much, uh, Jordan, for talking about demand and lead generation there. It's uh, hugely appreciated. So I've got a couple of um, extra questions. I don't think I told you about these ones at the start. So uh, first of all, we've got a... Uh, I'm creating an upbeat playlist. Uh, it's called the Zephyr uh, playlist. It's going to be available on uh, both Apple and Spotify coming soon. If I asked you for an upbeat song to add to it, what would it be? That's a great. You didn't tell me about that. That is a 
great question. Do you know what? I'll, I'll share. I used to, I, I, for many years, I owned a record shop and I used to DJ. So there's sort of, um, and you were just mentioning that you, um, you used to record. So there may be some commonality there. I would go for, um, rather than go for something that sort of has some upbeat uh, name or title or something obvious, uh, I'd go for something a bit more um, reflectionary that allows you just to get in that zen. There's a lot of chaos going on at the moment. So I think probably anything from Massive Attack, Unfinished Symphony would be probably a great, great starting point. Uplifting tune, melodic, allows you to just set back into the background. In fact, I'm going for that. Massive Attack, Unfinished Symphony. I challenge many people to find a better better tune. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going for. I'm a big fan. It's one of the, one of the of bands I've never seen or been able to see live unfortunately uh i've seen a lot of live music and that isn't one yet maybe in the future um and last one um and uh i can probably see where this is going look if we're out in uh in in hoxton we're going for a beer or a a drink after what would be your go-to choice what drink or the bar or both let's go both Okay. Well, we, we, we as a business, we're based on Charlotte Road, which for those that don't know, is sort of right in the middle of, um, uh, of Hoxton and Shoreditch. And I must say, before I give you the answer, that I worked in Shoreditch, uh, I won't say the number, but a, a few years ago. And it really wasn't it is now. It was uh, as rough around the edges as, as you see right now, but without the trendiness. So it does, <laughs> I, I do find it brilliant that a lot of my team who um, uh, sort of spend their week working in the area and then spend their weekends there find it such a cool place and I thought wow x amount of years ago this really wasn't the case so we're right in the middle of it um, in terms of drink of choice well my team would would shoot me down if I didn't say tequila um, somehow tequila has become the drink of choice in our business uh, I, I won't call out the culprit for how it happened but tequila is is our drink of choice uh, in fact, we actually put it in our job adverts um, that you, you, you've got to be prepared to, to be a te- tequila drinker. Um, so that would be my drink of choice. In terms of where to go, now if you'd asked me many years ago, I'd be telling you everywhere to go. Uh, but I'm going to give a shout out to our local pub. So I'm going to say the Bricklayers Arms, uh, which is right across the road from us. And uh, yeah, a proper sawdust sort of spit and polish pub but got all the right atmosphere and serve great tequila <laughs> like it well uh let's have a tequila in there uh once we get out of lockdown and uh i'm back in our, our shortage office too so uh no that'd be good look jordan pleasure to have you on the zephyr podcast sessions today um and uh yeah once we're all out of lockdown and uh back on uh back in the office in london uh let's uh let's meet up and go to uh the bricklayer's arms brilliant thanks scott i have to say keep up the good work it's brilliant thanks very much really enjoyable appreciate it cheers